0: Girl. Come on in. What's up? Uh, I'm sorry to bother you. Oh, not at oh, all. Cool. Come on in. What's going on? My nephew is involved with um, a charity for cerebral palsy. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if maybe you'd like to, you know, if what uh, donate to the charity? Oh, of course I would. Get it over here. Get that over here. Thank you. You know, I'm always good for some serious buckage. Wow, $2, $3? People out here do not care about diseases. I'm going to give you $25. That's... that's... that's very generous. Oh, my gosh. Well, listen, Oscar, generosity and togetherness and community, all convalescences into morale. That's what I say, so. Hey, Jim. Good party, huh? Just a little something whipped up, you know, a little morale boost. No big deal. Speaking of which, I meant to tell you, very impressive. The uh, donation you gave to Oscars charity. What was that, 25 bucks? No. well, I don't know. Money isn't everything, Jim. Not the key to happiness. You know what is? Joy. You should remember that. Maybe give more than $3 next time. Well, $3 a mile is going to end up being like 50 bucks. So, God, I can't even calculate what you're going to have to give. Is Oscar around? So just just out of curiosity, straight curiosity, for those of you who are here online, uh, at any of our local sites, at any of our campuses, if you are somebody who just loves the TV show The Office, say, that's me. If you're somebody who just either never heard of it or just doesn't get it, say that's me. See that that's that you're you're my wife. Like when we I'm an office fan. Like, and so when the office came out, like when the season would get over, like you had to buy the seasons on DVD. And I'd be like waiting at Best Buy, like waiting for them to come out. And then when we got married, I thought, boy, we're gonna be able to experience this together. And we watched one episode and she's like, that's not me. She said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. She said, he is just so awkward. And I'm like, yeah, that's why, made, that's why it's so hilarious because Michael Scott makes everything. It, you, you watch him, you feel un- uncomfortable. You feel uncomfortable for him. You feel uncomfortable for you. You feel uncomfortable for everybody else. You just feel like it, you just don't really get it. And that's the thing, like, especially in that clip. That Michael talks about something that for a lot of us makes us feel really uncomfortable. Because Michael is uh, asked to give to be charitable, and so he gives and he's gonna be charitable, but he just doesn't get it. And in fact, he makes everybody else feel awful about it. Have you ever had that experience? I mean, for some of you, you you see that we're gonna take a closer look at charity, and you're like, okay, here it is. Like, I, I, I hate this. This is like, this has been my experience. It's been good up till this point, and now they're going to ask us to do all of this stuff. No, That's actually not it. I mean, when we look at cha- charity, when we look at generosity, when we when we look at just the, the, the sheer notion of giving, too often we, we've maybe been approached with it like kind of Michael approaches Jim and does it in all sorts of ways that just kind of like when we, we experience it, we kind of just we kind of feel sweaty. Like we're like, ooh, this is gross. So here's the thing. As we take a closer look at charity, here's my promise. Is you're not going to feel gross about it. Look, when we look at generosity, when we look at charity, when we look at all of the things that have anything to do with anything that would approach this, first thing is we need to be biblical about it. Absolutely biblical about it. And alongside of that, we need to be faithful. Because unfortunately, a lot of us, inside and outside of the church, when we've been approached with something having to do with charity, it hasn't been biblical and it hasn't been faithful. And so we approach it very reluctantly. And that isn't healthy either. And so this is where we find ourselves as we are kind of closing up this three-week series on the gospel of Mark been on the move with Mark. We just finished the readings on Mark just just yesterday. If you're somebody who's been following along, you've gotten through Matthew, you've gotten through Mark. If you're doing the New Testament track, way to go, keep it up. If you're somebody like, you know, I I never started. you, You can start tomorrow and you can start with the Gospel of Luke that we'll do during the season of Lent. You can go back and you can read or you can listen, Matthew and Mark. But if you want to just pick up with Luke, you can pick up and it's going to be the season of Lent. It's going to be great. But what we've seen in the gospel of Mark is this movement that Jesus has. Mark doesn't tell, Mark shows. Jesus doesn't tell, Jesus shows. And that's what we see in this incredible encounter that Jesus has with this woman. Now, anytime we approach anything, it's important that we know what the context is. Like, why is this story important? What's going on in this story that would make it so important? What's the context? Because the thing about not just the story that we're reading today, but anytime we encounter any passage in Scripture, any passage in Scripture, it involves real people in a real time experiencing real events. And so when we know the context, we can start to understand what it means for us. So the context to this encounter that Jesus has with this woman with the alabaster jar, it takes place two days before the the celebration of Passover. Why is that important? Well, Passover was this celebration for the Jewish people. It was the the holiest of all of their celebrations. Because it was during Passover that the people would gather. Many of them would make a pilgrimage from their hometowns. And they would go to the holy city of Jerusalem. And they would celebrate what God had done once upon a time. There was a time in their history where their people had been in captivity, in slavery, in Egypt, and God had freed them. And so it was this incredible celebration where, where people lived in, in celebration of God's generosity, but also in anticipation that maybe God would do it for them. Have you ever wondered that? I and mean, the whole thing about when we come and we worship, when we come and we, we hear God's word, sometimes, and I'm sure that there's at least one of you here right now that you say, you know, we're, we're singing about, we're hearing about all the great things that God has done, but I'm wondering why God won't do it for me. And that can feel quite hopeless, can it? Here's the promise. And here's what this woman experienced. Is he will. And he sees you. And he hears you. So it's two days before Passover. And Jesus is in the house of somebody where he shouldn't be. You heard it in the Bible reading that was read just a a few moments ago. He's in the home of Simon, the, the one who had had leprosy. Which somebody who was supposed to have a good reputation wouldn't hang out with people like that. But that's exactly where Jesus is. And while they're eating, there's this woman who comes in and she has this alabaster jar. Now alabaster was a, a material that this jar was made out of that was that was. It was quite valuable. It was beautiful. But what that jar contained was, well, for this woman, it was invaluable. Now you think about it. Context. This was a time before we had savings accounts, checkings accounts, before we had credit, before we had retirement. So you think about this alabaster jar. It says that the, the, the perfume that was inside of this alabaster jar was, was worth a year's worth of wages. Think about it. Her life was contained in that jar. That was all that she had. And I wonder what your alabaster jar is. What is it that you feel and see that contains your life? Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your life's work. Maybe it's your pursuits. Maybe it's your dreams. But this woman takes all that she has and she comes to Jesus and she breaks it. And she pours it out onto him. Now we know because we have the the ability to have hindsight. We know what she's doing. We know why she's doing it. I mean, Jesus says it at the end of this passage. But everybody who's there, everybody who witnesses, everybody who sees what it is that she's doing, they can't believe it. They see what she's doing and they start to look at her and they're like, what? They're indignant. They're, they're so mad about it. They, they thought it was a waste. They scolded her harshly. They said if she would have actually done something with any, with any value with this life that she has, she, she would have given it to the poor. And Here's the thing that's so surprising that just jumps off the page. They have no clue why it is that she's doing what she's doing. It's a good thing that we never criticize anyone when they do something that we don't understand, is it? Criticism comes easily sometimes, doesn't it? Pay attention to social media. Pay attention to, to, to any debates that go on any of the news channels. I think about from the standpoint of last weekend. There was a great game, a great Super Bowl game last weekend. There was a three-point game, like everybody going into the Super Bowl. Like, well, if we could only have a three, a close game, that's all I want. Except for you who are Chiefs fans. Good for you. I'm happy. I'm kind of happy for you. I mean, I wish my team would ever win, but they're never going to. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. But, but did you notice what happened, like, right after the game? That anybody who wasn't a Chiefs fan, they criticized the pass interference call and should have been a no call. Criticized the officiating. They critica- criticized the coaching. They criticized the attitudes of some of the players. Why is it that we just can't really ever be happy for those who are happy? There, there's a simple adage that too often, unfortunate, we live by. We assume motive when all we can do is describe behavior. I'm sure you, you found yourself doing that. I do. Like just think, but beginning of the worship service, if you would have seen me up there and I would have been standing like this. The first thing, like if I would have been standing like this and I would have been singing. The first thing you probably would have thought is like, what's wrong with Jeremy today? What a jerk. He doesn't want to be here. He, people might say he's a nice guy. He's actually not a nice guy at all. Do the worship leaders know that he hates worship so much? I mean, Honestly. What's the only thing you would have known if I was standing like this? That I had my arms crossed. The only thing you would have known. But we assume a motive when all we can do is describe behavior. Look, those people had no clue why she was doing what she was doing, but she did. Jesus says to him, why, why, "Why are you criticizing her? What's in that for you?" Some of you may uh, be aware of, there's something that's happening uh, at a college in Wilford, Kentucky. It's called Asbury University, where 11 days ago, it was a Wednesday at their chapel service on campus, that it was just a very normal chapel service. You can go, you can watch it, it's very normal. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just it was a normal service, and at the end of it, during the last song, the the students were singing and they just didn't stop. And it's been going on now for eleven days. Just yesterday, they said that they're going to close it down for a couple hours a day, to which everybody criticized it. But people have been asking this question, like what what's going on? There's some people are saying, hey, it's a it's a full blown revival. And there are other people that are saying, hey, it's, just, it's all for show. In fact, there's a lot of people who have called, who have reached out, who have emailed, sent Facebook Messenger requests. And they want to know, like, what's going on? I love the way that the president of the university said it. He said, everybody's so quick to try to describe what it is that it's happening. Could it be a revival? I don't know. If it is, we won't know for quite some time. Could it be just a, an awakening that's happening on our campus, and maybe it's happening at other campuses? Quite possibly. Could it be a bunch of students that are just continuously worshiping God for 11 days? It could be, but you want to know what it is? There's a whole lot of people that are talking about Jesus right now. Is that a bad thing? I think about uh, during the Super Bowl. You want to know the, the commercials that got criticized the most? It wasn't the ones that had people wearing way too little clothing. It wasn't the ones that were giving the opportunity for people to be involved with things that are very destructive. Did you see how many sports gambling commercials there were? No, it was the ones that talked about Jesus. Why is that? motive. we can describe behavior. Jesus says to people who are concerned that people were doing it the way that was different than the way they were doing it. He says, look, if they're not against us, they're for us. We're on the same team. Don't be so critical about it. Jesus says, why criticize her? And then he says one of the most shocking things. It it, it actually makes you look like that. Like he says something and they're like, did he just, what? I mean, if you ever had somebody who said something to you and you're like, did, can you say that again? Like, I, didn't under, I don't think I understood you. Like, did he, just, did he just say that it doesn't, that we shouldn't give to people who are poor? I mean, he says, you'll always have the poor among you. You can help them whenever you want to. So don't worry. Is Jesus somehow, did he just say, like some people will take that, that passage and say, all that matters Is coming to Jesus, and we don't have to be concerned with anybody else in the world. That's not what he was saying. Context. If we look throughout the the rest of, of the Gospels, the story of Jesus, we see that Jesus continually brings up how important it is to give to those who don't have. Luke chapter 18, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, he says to the rich man. Matthew chapter 25, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. It's not just Jesus in the Gospels. It's the Old Testament as well. Isaiah chapter 58. God speaks through the prophet Isaiah. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. And when you do that, your light will shine out from the darkness. And the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. It's in the, the story of Acts, the early church. And the apostles are are carrying the message of Jesus out and and it's just, the, the movement is growing and it's growing and it's growing. And they start to realize that they're so busy bringing the message out that the widows and the orphans aren't being cared for. So they begin to organize the church. And there's a guy by the name of Stephen who's charged with leading people to help those who are in need. So why does Jesus say that? It's all about motivation. Why do we do it? What's the reason? We always should know the why behind the what, shouldn't we? I think about that as a parent of of a 6th grader and a 5th grader who so often they do things that I just don't understand my kids 18 months apart like there are times when they are absolutely the best of friends usually it's when they have a common enemy that's either my wife Bridget or I and it's like we're being ganged up on but sometimes they're the worst of enemies so at night when we're, like, it's time for them to go upstairs and get ready for bed, like, we literally tell them, go upstairs, get ready for bed, and don't fight. Like Do, do you hear the words coming out of my mouth? Like, don't fight. Okay, we won't fight, we won't fight. They get to the top of the stairs, literally. It's kind of like there's a secret lever on the top of the stairs that once their foot hits it, it's like, boom, they just start fighting. And because I'm not the patient one, I'll, like, march up the stairs and be like, what are you guys doing? Why are you fighting? What did she do? And you want to know what they say all the time? I don't know. <laughs> then why are you doing it? If you don't know why you are doing it, you should not do it. What's the motivation? Why? Because too often when we think about charity, when we think about generosity, unfortunately, what the motivation is, It's guilt. because unfortunately, not biblical or faithful, somebody has told us that if we don't do that, kind of like Michael said to Jim, then that really says a lot about our character. That's, that's, just, not, that's just not the truth. Look, fear and guilt and coercion, it's a horrible motivator. At best, what, what, what it leads to is reluctant compliance. My, my wife Bridget and I, when our kids were really little, we thought like we were going to be the first parents ever to, to, to withhold sugar from our kids forever. Like we were gonna be the ones that will figure out like how they were gonna have this pristine diet. It lasted just a few years. But when we were at home, we're like don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. I mean, we're good parents, but we're don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this, don't eat this. And I'll never forget my my son Trey went to his friend's birthday party. And so we weren't around to guilt him into following the rules. And he came home at like nine o'clock at night with a Mountain Dew in one hand and a Slushie in the other hand. And he's like, why do I feel like this right now? Because the minute he got out of our sight, he's like, give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. Because the motivation wasn't good. Paul writes to the church uh, in Corinth, the early church. And they're wrestling with this whole thing. And, And Paul says, you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And let's read this part together, no matter where you are. Let's read this part together. And don't give reluctantly. Or response to pressure. Don't. It's not biblical. It's not faithful. Other reason, one of the other reasons that people so often will uh, give is because they feel like their giving, their generosity is going to give them notoriety. It's going to put their name in, in the light. It's going to call attention to themselves. It's going to kind of be this power play that allows them to to prove to everybody else how good they are. It's Jesus who says in Matthew chapter 6, When you give to someone in need, don't call attention to yourself. For that's the only reward you'll ever get if you give out of that mindset, that, that, that state of heart. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Blowing their trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. There's no life there. For those of you who have been around Hope for quite some time, you'll notice that there isn't a room, a bench, hanging on the wall, an area that's named after anyone. Because when we do it and have our name on it, we start to feel like maybe we have more ownership of it. third reason is better than I think the first two is we, we do it because it's, it's the end goal. We do it just because we think like, you know, that's, that's where we're going to find life. Which is actually a, a, a pretty great thing. But when, when we give just to give, there's a, a time in which kind of the allure of it kind of, it wears off. I think about it from this standpoint. I'm, I'm a huge Dave Matthews Band fan. And some of you are way too young to know who that is, but like, he's my favorite. In fact, I started uh, really listening to him my, my freshman year of college, and I am so embarrassed to tell you, I've been to a Dave show 14 times in my life. It was, don't clap, for please don't. Like, I'm gonna lose my job if you clap for that. No, I'm just kidding. 14 times and I was so such a like I was so geeky about it like I, I would literally keep a tally because you could find him online and I would at every show like how many times he uh, performed different songs and I would keep track of the whole tour and I knew that if they sang a new song more than four times on a tour it probably was going to lead to the fact that they were writing a new album I'd be so excited and it was so great until it just started to get a little bit old. I remember the last Dave show that I went to. And I was just struck because I went into the show and there were all these people who just looked so old. And I looked at Bridget and I'm like, they're a lot older than us, aren't they? And she's like, no, they're not. Like there came a point where it was time to move to the next thing. Well, that doesn't feel like That's life giving, especially for the people who are in need. If they just become the objects of our pursuits until we find the next thing? No, there's something deeper, far deeper, which prompts Jesus to to say in response to what this woman did. He says, I tell you the truth. Wherever good news, wherever the good news, wherever people talk about Jesus throughout the world, this woman's deeds will be remembered and discussed. Why? Well, if we look at this same story and we look at it in John's gospel, we'll start to understand that this woman, her name is Mary and she's from a place called Magdala. When we start to figure out and try to find out who Mary of Magdala is, you're like, well, she's Mary Magdalene. Well, the first time we meet Mary of Magdala, Mary Magdalene, it's actually in Luke chapter 8. And we see that Mary of Magdala comes to Jesus because she's facing something that's taking life from her. She's struggling with, the Bible says, she's struggling with seven different demons. She's consumed with these. She isn't able to see life outside of her current reality. And so the Savior saves her. And when she receives the Savior's love, she's transformed. We don't give and, and, and we, don't, we aren't charitable because somehow it's about us. It's about what God has done to us and charity and, and generosity—it's all about transformation. We've been changed, and so we change. I think about the story of Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus—he was a wee little man. A, a wee little man was was he? Now, I. I don't doubt the fact that Zacchaeus was small. But I also think that Zacchaeus, when he thought of himself, and he thought about all that he had, and his life was contained only by the fact that he had stolen and cheated people of their money, he probably felt pretty small. And I wonder if Zacchaeus got to a point where he had gotten to the end of himself. And if he could ever be changed. And he hears about this person by the name of Jesus. And I wonder if you can relate to this. He thinks to himself... Would he ever be willing to do that for me? Am I worth his love? And what a hopeless place to be. I mean, when Mary of Magdala came to Jesus the very first time, She probably felt the same thing, don't you think? So Zacchaeus climbs up into the sycamore tree. And Jesus sees him. And he says to him, get this, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Because I'm going to take presence in your life. I'm going to inhabit what it is and all that it is that you have. And, and Zacchaeus is so transformed. He says, Jesus, if I have stolen anything from anyone, I'm going to pay it back. And I'm going to give half of everything I have away. I've been changed. And I'm going to change. I'm going to change. So passionate are we about that story of Zacchaeus that that's what we aspire to be as a church. That we would give half of everything we have away because we've been changed and so we want to be agents of change. It's about 16 years ago, uh, I was doing youth ministry in Fargo, North Dakota and we were taking a trip to, to, a mission trip to Jamaica And we had done it once before, and we were doing this trip for the second time, and it it was popular. So we were going to take 126 kids to Jamaica. Now, that incited a lot of fear in me because I was the leader, and I I I had these dreams that when we would be on the airplane, all the kids would go to one side of the airplane, and we would be, like, flying through the air like we needed V8. You know, like, we were just a little bit tilted, and so I would tell the kids, like, guys, stay in your seats. And so, when we had that many kids, we, had needed, we, we needed to know we were going to have enough leaders. And so, we told all the kids hey, if you have a parent that would like to go, have them reach out to us. And so, one of the, the girls that was going on a trip, she was a sophomore, and her name was Laura. I knew Laura's dad, Steve. And so, I'd even called Steve. Steve was a good friend of my dad's, he's an incredible human being. He was the president of Gate City Bank in Fargo, just extraordinary, kind, loving. So Laura asked Steve. I called Steve and I said, "Steve, Steve, hey, you should come and you should uh, be a leader on this trip." And he said, "No, Jeremy, what 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 I do is banking. Like I don't do kids on a mission trip." I said, "That's fine. You don't have to go. We'll find somebody else." But Laura wouldn't give up on her dad. And so she kept saying to her dad, "Dad, you got to come. Dad, you have to come. Dad, you have to come." So she asked, her, asked him again, a couple months later, he still said, "No, I don't do that." And then he asked her again uh, about two weeks before we were going to go. Now, here's the cool thing, is at this point, we had all the leaders that we needed. But for some reason, Laura kept asking her dad. And I don't believe it was an accident. And so Steve, uh, he, he, just, he decided to come. And so he called. He said, Jeremy, I'm going to come. I said, great, Steve, we have a, a leader meeting I need to come to. And so we kind of had been already meeting with our leaders, but this was we are kind of giving him the crash course. So there's six different places that we're going to serve while we're in uh, Jamaica. There was a, uh, you could work on, uh, at the facility that we're staying. It was a YWAM building. Uh, you could uh, go and build a home with Habitat for Humanity. You could go work at one of two primary schools or elementary schools uh, with kids that were in the area. You could uh, go and you could work at this place. Called, it was a place of safety, a place of refuge for kids who had been removed from their homes and didn't have anywhere else to go. Or you could go to this, uh, this facility that cared for people who had a mental or a physical disability. And we described the work that would be happening at each of these places and one of the things about working at the the, the home for kids with a disability was the fact that uh, people were going to have to bathe them, feed them, clean up after them. And Steve said to me, Jeremy, that is not something I'm going to do. And we just always said, like, we're never going to put leaders in a place where they feel like they're going to fail. So that's fine. And his daughter, Laura, was just this incredibly uh, caring. She was just like one of those people who had just this this presence that just was so welcoming so the very first day when we were in Jamaica we went out to serve, she went to this, this house for the disadvantaged kids and she came home that day and we were talking to all the other students and we would kind of go to highs and lows and, and she's like that was, the, that was the best thing I've ever done and so she started to say to her dad, dad you have to go you have to experience it and every day Steve was like No, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go Now, Laura had asked us as leaders, could she keep going back to the same place? And so we allowed her to continue to go. And every day, the same thing would happen. Dad, you have to come. You have to come. And it was on the evening before the last day where we were going to go out and serve that she said to her dad, Dad, just for me, please come. And Steve's response was, I'll do it just for you. Now there was a cottage that we were working on building on the facility. And then there was the work that you do with the children. And so Steve said, I'll do the work on the cottage, but I'm not gonna do the work on the children. Not because he had a hard heart, it just was outside of his comfort zone. And so about halfway through that day, I was the site leader at a place that was right next door. And so every day I would kind of come over and see what was going on at this facility. And so I was walking over, I wanted to see how Steve was doing. And I walked over to the cottage and Steve wasn't there. And I thought my initial response was, did he bail? Did he like, he just took off like, I'm out of here. And then I walked into a room that held uh, their oldest clients. And Steve was there and I'll never forget it. He was cradling like a little child, a young woman who's probably 20 years of age. And Steve, he had a spoon in his hand, and he was, he was feeding her. And then he would clean her up. And Steve looked up at me, and he just literally his tears coming down his face, and he said, "Jeremy, aside of my marriage to my wife Marianne and the life of my two kids, this is the most profound thing I have ever been a part of." He'd been changed. You're like, well, why does that matter? What what difference does that make to me? Well, we came home from that trip, and the very first thing that Steve did, the first day back at work is he got together with the board of his bank at Gate City Bank. And he said to the board, imagine how this would have gone over, if we have any employees at Gate City Bank, if they want to go and serve, they don't have to take PTO to do it. They'll get paid to go and serve. And the board said, absolutely not. Steve said, but if they're changed, they're gonna change. In fact, if they wanna travel and that travel would incur some cost, he said, we as as an organization, we will pay up to $500 to defer their cost of their trip. And the board said, absolutely not. And Steve said, no, but if they're changed, they're gonna change. I just had the opportunity on Friday, Steve and I, I hadn't talked to him for like 14 years. Called him, like, hey, Steve, this is Jeremy Johnson. He's like, what on earth are you calling for? I'm like, hey, well, could, could I share your story? And so we started to talk about it. Here's a really cool thing the, the bank that he uh, is a part of in Fargo celebrated its 100th birthday this year. So they're writing a book on the history of Gate City Bank. Do you want to know what the center chapters is on? It's on Steve's experience. And how he had been changed. And that changed the trajectory of that organization. Paul says to the early church, he says you shouldn't give out of fear or coercion or guilt. And Paul says without any nervousness, hesitancy or anything. He's not worried about whether or not they're going to have enough to do what they need to do. Because he knows that if people are changed, they're going to change in their are They're gonna live their life as an offering and that's going to provide them everything that they could ever need. He says, no, in fact, you should give out of the generosity, the overflow of your heart. So I wonder for you, not for Steve, not for Paul, not for the woman with the alabaster jar, but I wonder for you, what's in your jar? What do you have? And you say, this is it. And you say, well, in fact, I've been changed and so I can take my life and I can pour it out. I've been transformed and because of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, I can be a part of transforming the world. We all have something. We all have what it is that contains the life of who we are. And Jesus invites us to to pour it out wherever it is that you are. Because that's what he did for us. I mean, you think about the the radical love of Jesus Christ. Jesus took all that he had, and it was crushed, it was beaten, and it was poured out to change us, to transform us to allow us to know that we're worthy of his love, and so is the world around us. So I'm going to turn it over to the campuses, but for here or at our local sites, I invite you, or online, I invite you to stand up. We're going to do something a little bit differently as we close. And I invite you just to hold your hands out like this. You don't have to, but if you don't, you'll be the only one who doesn't, and that will just be embarrassing. We'll call you Michael Scott. And we're going to, Alyssa and Perry are going to lead us in the beginning of the song that we're going to close with. And the lyrics are just hallelujah come. Hallelujah come. Hallelujah literally means praise God. Praise God. Praise God come. Come God in this moment, in this time, in wherever it is that I am. Change me. Transform me. Allow me to see the world the way that God you have seen me. Hallelujah come. And then we're going to worship and we're going to sing. And then we're going to go and do it. Amen? Amen. Let's close our eyes. Hold our hands out. We'll lead and then we'll go home.